to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is July 15th. I am David Gasper, joined as always by Matt Carroll. We're the guys at ReviewingTheBrew.com. It is the All-Star break, so there's plenty to talk about from the first half and All-Star Week festivities. Uh, Joining us for that talk this week is Jake Mastroianni, co-host of the Lockdown Brewers Podcast. Jake, how's it going, man? Hey, David, doing great. Thanks so much for having me on here. I've had you on a couple times, so glad to come on uh, your show now. Love this podcast. Uh, love reviewing the brew. Always reading the articles there. So thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, thanks so much, man. Uh, glad to have you on. Uh, glad to talk some brewers. And we've had a break from beer, from brewers games the past couple of days. Um, so it'll be exciting to see them back out there. And I mean, you know, even though the first half didn't exactly end on the greatest note, uh, losing three of four to the Cincinnati Reds, um, and it really was kind of a, an ugly series. Uh, offense really kind of wasn't able to get going and, and doing much, and um, you know, it just kind of was uh, pretty pretty rough to watch. But at the end of the day, the Brewers entered the All Star break with a four game lead in the division. They're 53 and 39, 14 games over 500. Uh, how are we feeling a- after the end of the first half? Jake, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, you're never going to complain when you've won 54 games in the first half and you had a four-game lead. And it feels like this team hasn't, at least offensively, hasn't hit their stride yet to me. Um, I mean, I did my uh, first half awards for the Brewers um, today and – Yelich wasn't mentioned in anything. And so it's like, it's kind of crazy to think where this team is and their best player hasn't even been a huge contributor in that. So I think you got to be very happy, obviously, if you're a Brewers fan with where the team is. Um, Obviously, being up, you know, four games in the division, that's a pretty nice lead. It did get hurt there the the last three games of the, the first half. But I think you have to be very happy. I mean, coming into the season, if you had told me that's where they were at the All Star break, um, even as somebody who thought they would win the division, I thought that would have been very optimistic, uh, optimistically thinking. But um, so I think you got to be very happy with where they are. I think the pitching has been maybe even better than we expected. And I know us on here, we were very high with the pitchers coming in, in with Woodruff and Burns and what Peralta could potentially do. Um, but I mean, you got to look at the contri- contributions from Adrian Hauser. Uh, Brett Anderson at times has been very solid for a fifth starter. And Eric Lauer, who was one of my unsung heroes of the first half, especially after what he did in spring training, he's made some big starts for this team. And I think allowed them to have that six man rotation you know, kind of limit these innings so that we have these starters fresh for the second half. So uh, everything, you know, taken in, yes, the offense needs some help and has struggled most of the times in the first half, but um, hopefully that will be addressed at the, the deadline, but really like where this Brewers team is and feel good about their chances in the second half to finish off and win this division. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, looking at where they're sitting right now, like you said, David, um, four games up in the NL Central. They're sitting with a plus 46 run differential. Um, you might want to see that a little higher based off the record, but considering where they were at other points during the season, you know, you'll take that. Um, compare it back to <clears throat> like the 2018 season. And I know these are very different teams, um, but back in 2018, the Brewers were sitting at 55 wins going into the All Star break. They went through that five game sweep 
in Pittsburgh. So kind of stumbled into the all-star break a little bit, kind of like they did this year. So that isn't anything that needs to set off super warning flags. Um, I think what needs to be fixed is hopefully something that they can get through, you know, get some guys healthy, get that offense going again a little bit. Like you said, Jake, that's been up and down as the year has gone on over the last week, they have scored about two and a half runs a game, which is clearly not going to cut it. Um, That needs to step up. And I think there's parts of the bullpen that I'd like to see improve. Um, I think they've got a few strong pieces, but the um, other parts, you know, whether it's trade deadline moves, whether it's getting um, Justin Topa back, we saw he started a rehab start finally here. He could be key in the second half. Ashby back up at some points um, just to, to bolster that a little bit. They're sitting about middle of the pack in terms of war right now for relievers, which is a little bit up from about a month ago. But the last few years, that bullpen was so strong and you want to have a really solid bullpen going into the postseason. So fix a little bit there, get that offense rolling. And, you know, I think good things happen in the second half. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, this is a team also, it's important to keep in mind, that played 33 games in 34 days heading into the All-Star break. So they didn't really have much rest. I mean, they've been going on a six-man rotation for a while. The offense wasn't really being able to get any breaks. Um, So, you know, a little bit of a stumble in the All-Star break isn't, you know, super surprising. You know, I mean, when you play that many games in in that many days uh, without really a, a, a day off, uh, those guys are gonna gonna be struggling a little bit. So, you know, I'm not gonna read too much into you know the the three losses in in that red series, but um, I mean there were kind of some other things also that really just kind of seemed out of their control, and that was some really awful umpiring. I mean, oh my god, that was that was so obvious, so obviously bad. And Angel Hernandez wasn't even a part of that crew, and that's the most surprising part of it. I mean. You look at, I mean, Brian O'Norris, Strike Zone, and um, whoever else they had on that crew, they just have some really awful games. Uh, uh, Craig Council and Christian Yelich got ejected uh, in one of the games uh, on Saturday night. You don't see Christian Yelich get that animated about anything. Not even, not even on, like, walk-off home runs. He doesn't show that much emotion, but he was flat-out pissed after he was called out after a little bit of a, like a head fake or, or whatever it was over there at first base. Yeah. I think part of that too, I've talked about it. I think it's Yelich is frustrated with himself a little bit. And mm-hmm. I think that boiled into that. I think he knows he hasn't been the player the Brewers need him to be in the first half, you know, more so with the power potential, obviously he's getting on base. He's taking his walks you know, me and Vinny have talked about it a lot. I, I think he's getting pitched around a ton because there's just not a, a lot of great protection for him in that lineup. But at the same time, too, I've, I've seen him miss pitches that he's normally driving. Um, so I think a little bit of, of that is frustration on his part that he's just not being that MVP type guy that the Brewers need him to be in that offense. So I think you saw that kind of boil up into some frustration there and he just kind of unleashed it on the umpire and. You know, that's definitely a question we'll call. The umpiring was terrible that day, just all around, uh, more so with the strike zone and just the blatantly bad calls there. But I, I, I think you can just tell it in his interviews and everything. I think he's more so just frustrated with himself that he's not playing to a level that he's capable of playing. But, um, but, but I am concerned 
about the Reds too. I think they're definitely the most um, scary team in that division for uh, the Brewers going in. So to lose those three games in the break does hurt. Um, but those were all, I mean, tight, close games could have gone uh, either way. Um, but yeah, the Yelich thing, I think you're starting to see a little, little frustration from him right now, trying to get back to where he wants to be and knows he can be. Yeah, and the sad part with the umpiring is the one where Council got tossed, that was probably the best strike zone of the series was that game. <laughs> um, Brian Onora and then uh, Doug Eddings in the second game ah, um, was just horrible as well. I mean, they were sitting, if you look at the ump scorecards um, from the umpire scorecards account on Twitter, they're sitting right in the like 89 to 90% accuracy range, which is just horrible. Um, but you... So obviously that caught up to council a little bit. He thought Yelich got squeezed. We know we've seen Yelich get squeezed on the strike zone several times this year. And so at points, council just decides he's had enough with it. And so I don't blame him for getting tossed there. But the play at first with that just slight little shoulder move towards second to say that that's an official turn turn towards second. No, he kind of he kind of just leaned a tiny bit. Uh, Definitely wasn't facing second. Um, just ridiculous that you would make that call. And then the Adamas play at second was the other big ridiculous one where he slides into a guy's foot, tries to do the pop-up slide, and then just for a micro millisecond pulls his foot off the bag to, to call it for that and to use replay to do it, which was not the intent of replay. It was not to make those tiny little calls. It was to get, you know, big blatant ones right, which we don't see happen on a consistent basis as it is. And that's why so many fans are frustrated with the replay process is you can't even get the obvious calls, right. But you're going to make that tiny, tiny, tiny little change. I mean, add that to everything else that happened in that series with umpiring and very easy to understand why Brewers fans were just done with that umpiring crew. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to, I want to add one more thing that Vinny brought up that I thought was a great point is that the umpires were making it a point to insert themselves into that series. Those are calls, calls that most umpires were just let go. I mean, maybe Yelich did make a little twitch towards second, not anything blatant, but the way that the umpire rung him up like that, that Vinny talked Mm -hmm. about, he was looking for a chance. Like like that was emphatic. Yeah. He, yeah. he was looking for a chance to assert himself in that game. Same thing with the Adamas play at second. That's something normally you'll just, you know, blow past and keep going. But the umpires made it a point to insert themselves into that game, into that series. Uh, I thought that was a good point that Vinny made on our podcast, and I thought that was very true for that series. Yeah, and that and that brings me to to something here. Let's let's grab our tinfoil hats. It is conspiracy corner here on the cold brew podcast. So we're getting our tinfoil hats, putting them on. I don't actually have one, but we're going to pretend for a moment. Okay. So conspiracy corner on the cold brew podcast. MLB didn't want the brewers to win that series. The brewers, the brewers came into that four game series against the reds up six games. If the brewers swept them, the Brewers would, be, would have been up 10 games in the division at the All-Star break. The Cubs would have been further back. The, the Cardinals would have been further back. The Reds were the closest, and they would have been 10 games back. And then you got three more against the Reds after the All-Star break. So if the Brewers had won all of them, the Brewers could have opened up a 13-game lead in the division in the middle of July. The, the division would essentially be over. 
But MLB doesn't want that. They they want a competitive division, especially the NL Central with you know all these teams. You know they they want the Cubs and the and the Cardinals to be in there. So they they need the Brewers to kind of come back down, make it competitive, make it exciting. So MLB had told the umpires to insert themselves in the series and deliberately kind of hold back the Brewers and give the Reds better chances to win, to to close the gap in the division, to make it closer the rest of the way. That That's my conspiracy theory. MLB directed this to happen, directed the umpires to insert themselves to make the division closer for down the stretch. They didn't want the Brewers opening up a giant lead. They wanted to be close. What do you guys think? Am I, am I nuts or, or, is, or is there possibly something to that? Yeah, I don't know about conspiracy theories, but it definitely has opened up the door. I talked with Jeff Carr, blocked on Reds before that series, and said all the Brewers have to do is split. You split those four games, you win the series after the break, and that division, I don't want to say it's a wrap, but then the Reds start considering selling at the deadline. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, with the Reds winning that series and picking up a couple games, they could all of a sudden be buyers at the deadline now. So I think that was a huge momentum shift. Obviously, the three games after the break are really going to determine – you know what what that what the Reds do going forward, but uh, yeah, whether it was Major League Baseball or just the Brewers' offense, I don't know. But somebody sabotaged that that series to uh, to let the Reds win and give them hope. David, I love your enthusiasm on your conspiracy <laughs> theory, um, but I'm going to have to hard disagree because that would insinuate that the MLB has any amount of control over the umpires. And Mm -hmm. that just can't be the case. They are just running wild with their umpires union doing whatever the heck they want. I'm just chalking it up to most umpires suck these days. Yeah. Or at least that's Uh, how it feels. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I mean, there's probably a little, you know, a little little nudge, nudge and a a wink, wink. Be like, hey, you know, wouldn't be wouldn't be too bad. if The Reds took three out of four here. You know, what you got to do. I'd be more on board with that if it were the Cubs or the Cardinals, because like you said, those are the teams that they want up there in the pennant yeah, race. Yeah, so but, but they're already those... too far gone. Yeah, like they already had their chances and they're too far gone. So now they just need they they just need it to be competitive. Like they don't want all of the Reds, Cubs, and Cardinals selling at the deadline and literally everyone else in the NL Central giving up before July 31st, you know, like, like they don't want all of them gone. They want at least someone to try to compete with the Brewers because like you mentioned there, Jake, you know, if they, if they lose that and, and they fall um, a couple further games back, if they're like 10 games back um, after, you know, the, this, you know, week, then they would have to consider selling. And then they don't want that. They, they don't want four teams selling. And then one team being the old one, it's like, okay, yeah, we're just going to, you know, be able to coast the final two months to to the division title because no one else is trying. They all traded their best players. Yeah, no, I can definitely get on board with that. Uh, my question back to you is with the Brewers where they are, and I'm sure we're going to get into the second half stuff. I, I don't know that it is a coast for this team the rest of the way. The schedule oh, no. in, in June was really favorable for the Brewers, and I've talked about it a lot. They did exactly what they were supposed to do with that schedule and it's why they've built, you know, the cushion that they have, but it's going to pick up a little bit in the second half and they're going to have to, you know, play definitely better baseball than they did this past weekend, whether there was a conspiracy involved there or not, uh, <laughs> in order to, to wrap up this division. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's never going to be easy to win a division in a 162 game season. Um, but 
you know, yeah, I mean, coming out of the break here, you got three against the Reds, uh, then you got a day off, then you got a couple games against the Royals, uh, then another day off, and then you play the White Sox. So that's just kind of where the seri- the second half starts off. Um, so, I mean, they got um, two good teams, one, you know, meh team in, in the Kansas City Royals. Um, but, yeah, it, it's going to be a you know pretty fun second half. Um, but if, if everyone else sells off, you know, it's it's certainly going to be more of a more of a coast than than not. But yeah, you, they certainly can't coast. And if you want to win a World Series, you you got to kind of you know keep the keep the foot on the gas and, and be sure that you can get hot at around the right at around the right time. Um, so, uh, Matt, you know, what do you think when when it comes to the the second half? Um, being able to, you know, the, the teams that they're starting off against, think they can, you know, you know we got a potentially chance for another big cushion to to add on there. Um, I think it'll be tough because they they kind of alternate between. If you look even further ahead to August, they kind of alternate in between those, you know, easy series and those tough series. Because um, after the White Sox, you get Pirates, and then you've got Braves. Um, that's no easy task back to pirates and then giants giants um do they still have the best record in the national yep. league i know they did yep yeah they um, do so that's a luckily a home series um but then you're going right into the cubs with a chance to lock up the um season series against them by the way um pirates cardinals nationals so you got a decent little stretch there and then back to the reds you've got giants again after a hopefully easy one against the twins so it's a little bit back and forth there um, luckily none of those huge long stretches of games without a day off. So hopefully that'll kind of make things a little bit easier. Um, and then it all depends on what happens going into the trade deadline at the end of July. Um, you have that, maybe the Brewers make some moves to either improve the offense, improve the pitching, um, what have you, but possibly they parlay that slightly new look team into a run in August. So, Hard to say. I think there's a lot that can happen um, as they come out of the all-star break. But again, kind of like going back to earlier, they need that offense to look a little bit more consistent um, if they want to go on a big run. Yeah. And uh, you, you mentioned the the Atlanta Braves there coming up and, you know, what like where do they what kind of challenge are they going to present? Jake, I know you're also a, a Braves guy and, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr. is mm. now out for the season. Uh, they've had a myriad of other injuries facing that team. Um, what, like, what's going on with Atlanta? I, I've I've heard some rumors that they might be sellers at the deadline. What, like, you know, what what kind of challenge would they face, or, or would they present to the Brewers? Yeah, this this year has not been kind to the Braves. Everything that essentially could go wrong has. They they lost the All Star game. Mike Soroka continued to have setbacks. Is out for the year. Supposed to be their top pitcher. The Ozuna situation, and now you lose your best player and one of the best players in all of baseball in Acuna. It's been a rough year for the Braves and they haven't been able to get over 500 um, just hanging right around there. And the rest of the division has made it so that, you know, they can, they actually still have a chance. They're only four games out. Um, But yeah, it's, it's tough. I think they should sell. I just think everything with everything that's happened, this just isn't going to be their year. Um, But it'll be interesting to see. We talk about, the Brewers schedule coming out of the break, the Braves have three against the Rays, three against the Padres, four, four against the Phillies, 
five against the Mets, who are in first place in that division, before coming to that series against the Brewers. So they're going to know pretty quickly <laughs> whether or not they're <laughs> going to be contenders or, or sellers at the trade deadline or, or buyers. And like I said, I think they're going to be sellers. So I think the Brewers could get a, a downtrodden Atlanta Braves team uh, starting at the end of July and uh, beginning of September there. Yeah, and um, and certainly could put them even more downtrodden with a with a big series against them. And I put this in an article the other day, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, I, I had kind of three all stars that you know could potentially uh, be traded to Milwaukee, and I'm looking at the Atlanta Braves situation, and you mentioned that they could be sellers, and I was thinking, would they potentially sell Freddie Freeman? I know he's the face of the franchise. I know he's he was last year's MVP, but he's a free agent at the end of the year. And if they decide that they're not going anywhere, could they try to flip him for um, some some assets to kind of reload that team? Yeah, it, it's something we talked about and we, we've written about at uh, TomahawkTake.com, um, where I write for for the Braves that fans cited. And two weeks ago, I, I thought it might have been a legit possibility, but. Here lately, obviously, Freddie's getting the questions about it and stuff, and he has kind of reiterated the fact that he wants to be, you know, with this team for a long time, and he has 10 and 5 rights. So uh. he would ha- he would have to approve any trade um, that was possible. So I don't I don't think they would trade him, even if they had like a handshake deal to say, hey, let's trade you, get something for you, and then, you know, you re-sign with us after the season. I just I don't see any scenario now where they would really give up. Like you said, their face of the franchise player, especially with Acuna gone now. I mean, that would completely kill the fan base for the rest of this year and still getting people to come and see him and get that money, that revenue, even if they are, you know, down is still huge. So I don't think anything they would potentially get in a trade would really be worth what it would mean to the fan base in order to move him. Um, you burst my bubble a little bit. There. Yeah, it, it, sorry. If Freeman uh, ended up on the Brewers, I'd buy my World Series yeah, tickets now. I mean, yeah. my God, that's that's one heck of a bat for any team to have. Uh, especially considering the need at first base. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I didn't see that he had 10 and 5 rights, so I completely forgot about that. I thought it was just, oh, yeah, you know, you could just, you know, trade him wherever. But yeah, no, 10 and 5, that that does change it change it a little bit because I mean, he said previously that he doesn't particularly like hitting in Milwaukee even though he's got a career 997 OPS here but <laughs> um you know whatever uh, to yeah. each their own but uh yeah so the Brewers will probably have to have to look elsewhere for that and he's but, a gold glove first baseman which would be a drastic difference than what the Brewers keep rolling out at first base this year yeah so. oh you mean it's Tell me that Daniel Vogelback, Kesson Cura, <laughs> and Rowdy Telez aren't gold glove caliber yeah. first baseman. No. No. Oh, what a shock. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it's – yeah, they, they, they kind of need some help there. And it'd be really nice if Kesson Cura could just hit 300 like we all know that he can, um, and that would just solve a lot of issues. Uh, but, unfortunately, we're not there yet. I'd take 200 for him right now. <laughs> <laughs> True. Fair enough. All right. Um, so the All-Star uh, festivities this week uh, had the home run derby on Monday night. Uh, Pete Alonzo, the polar bear, ends up winning it. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I had a ton of fun watching that home run derby and watching Pete Alonzo do his thing. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I, 
I honestly didn't really even watch the actual All-Star game. Went back and watched the highlights of the Brewers players and stuff. But I watched every single bit of that home run derby. Um, part of it was the Otani show I wanted to see. I also wanted to see Joey Gallo, who was highly disappointing. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I thought that was going to be a lot more impressive. But uh, Pete Alonso, man, you could tell from his first round when he put up like 35. I mean, it was it was over after that. <laughs> like, it, yeah, it was, especially uh, when Otani went out. It's like, OK, yeah, like. Yeah. It, it, it was over after he hit those 35. You could just tell it was easy. And, you know, I've seen people re- uh, talk about the the guy who was throwing to him. I don't remember his name, but he Dave was, Jouse. yeah, he was throwing it right where he wanted every time. I mean, that guy should have gotten an MVP trophy or something for that. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> Alonzo was just, it was, it was unreal what he was doing. And even in the finals, Mancini, he put up a huge number and I thought, wow, maybe he can do this. And Alonzo's just like, nope, nope. still had like 40 seconds left <laughs> when he, when he passed him. So it was just, it was incredible, but yeah, it was a really fun event. Um, I'll admit I didn't get to watch it. I had to work unfortunately that night, but every time I was checking on updates, it was just Pete Alonzo, Pete Alonzo, just like that dude's name everywhere. Um, I do want to say, and I know we're going to get to the game in a little bit here, um, the All-Star game this year is probably, I mentioned on Twitter, probably the first one that I like looked forward to actually watching in a while. And I think that really speaks to the talent that's in MLB right now um, between you know players like Tatis and Otani and Vlad Guerrero Jr. And you could go on and name more and more and more young players. It was, it, it was something to watch and uh, just like I actually got excited I was getting hyped for the all-star game not just because the Brewers had you know five all-stars four potentially who could have been playing um, but it it was there were so many fun young players to watch and I, I think that speaks really well to the state of the game right now at least the players in the game Oh yeah, and it certainly was a was a pretty fun game even though the National League once again lost yep it is rough. it is ridiculous. They have won just three times since I have been born. Since 1996, <laughs> they have won just three oh. times. They tied once. We all remember that one. Um, and then they won, I think it was like 2010 to 2012. They won three in a row. And since then, nothing. Just absolutely nothing. Every single time. And, you know, every year you enter with hopes like, oh, maybe this is the year that they're finally going to be able to do it. And then of all people, Corbin Burns comes in to pitch the second (laughs) inning and then soft contact, soft contact, soft contact, a run scores. Shocking. Always happens. Always happens to him. And then in the third. So, you know, AL takes a one nothing lead because the NL offense clearly won't do anything. And then in the third inning. It was not soft contact. Whoa, no, it was it no, was no. very hard, very big contact to Vlad Guerrero Jr. And as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, that's going to be the big highlight of the night. That's the one that they're going to replay over and over. And it's all going to be, oh, this was off Corbin Burns of the Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah. And I didn't, like I said, I didn't watch the game, not because I didn't want to. I just had a prior commitment. But did they ever say why? Burns was the only pitcher on either team to go two innings. Was there any reason given for that? Um, I, I don't think they had plenty of pitchers. But. I don't think they specifically said one, but my guess is that was his scheduled day to pitch anyways. Um, you know, if, if he was kept on regular rest, that was going to be his day to start. So I, I think 
you know, he was fine going two innings, going a few more pitches, um, just kind of, you know, get a bullpen or, or get whatever um, work in. Um, so that could be it. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure they wouldn't send him out there for two innings without, you know, him and, and like Craig Council and, and the whole Brewer staff knowing that like that was a plan. And maybe they asked for it. It's like, hey, give him give him two innings because, uh, you know, that that's his regular day to pitch. Yeah, that's my I, I guess. Thought, yeah, I just thought it was curious because nobody else for either team threw more than one inning. So, um, yeah. you know, I didn't, I didn't know why Burns went back out. I didn't have a problem with it. Obviously, that's, you know, not a huge workload for him. Just thought that was yeah. curious. But um, I wish I had the enthusiasm that Matt <laughs> talked about for this game because <laughs> there are a lot of exciting players to watch. Um, but there's also a lot of exciting players that weren't there. Jacob DeGrom at mm-hmm. the top of that list. I mean, if he had been starting this and going up against Otani, I would have been, you know, pulling it up on my phone where, you know, where I was trying to to watch it and, and, and locked into it. But I think part of that ruins it for me as well is that you just have some big players that just choose not to be there. And, and I don't blame them. And as fans, um, me, you know, of a particular team, you know, I probably, if I'm a Mets fan and everything they got going on, I probably wouldn't have wanted DeGrom to, to risk injury pitching in that game. You know, they they're leading that division for the first time in the all-star break since 2007. So, you know, I, I wouldn't have wanted DeGrom going out there to, to pitch and risk injury either, but it does kind of, um, you know, dilute the excitement of the game a little bit for me. Yeah. It's always unfortunate. I think DeGrom was one of the ones who was lined up on Sunday, correct? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, to just it's have because that, they had the rain out in Milwaukee. He right. was going to be if they wouldn't have had that, he would have been lined up to start it. Yeah. But he's exactly. like, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to. You know, he's like, yeah. I'd rather rest. No. And, you know, it's about, you know, we didn't get to see Woodruff for the same reason he was lined up. Uh, he pitched on Sunday as well. So, you know, it, it, it kind of sucks when you have just that dumb luck where, you know, that just happens to be where a few of the all star pitchers um, end up pitching and then they don't end up getting to play. So I totally agree with that, but um, you did have for some fun, fun moments um, such as uh, Omar Narvaez bleeding a little single into <laughs> the outfield An infield and infield single. Yeah. Yep. And should have scored if not for just the flukiest of wild pitches that ended up with him getting cut down at second. I was so bummed when that happened, because later on that inning, Ozzy Albies ends up hitting a double to right field. That would have scored Narvaez, and he would have gotten to say that he scored a run in the All-Star game. But no, of course, perfect uh, deflection off the backstop right back to the catcher. And oh, I just could not believe that. And honestly, I thought he might have been safe. Like, the Whit Merrifield mm-hmm. was late with the tag. You yes. know, he, he kind of slid in there. He just kind of, like, stood up and then, like, then tried to apply the tag. It's like, hey, maybe we should review this and you know of course no one's going to care enough to review it in the all-star game um but yeah that was really just kind of unfortunate to see like oh yay a brewer's highlight uh followed by another low light but there was a (laughs) there was a highlight that wasn't followed by a low light and that was Mm. freddie peralta yeah going out there and he gets one inning strikeout 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 12 pitches 10 strikes just dominating and I, I could feel that one coming because Colorado's where he had his major league debut and he went five innings and five plus whatever innings struck out 13. Like he had a dominant debut in Coors Field. He pitches well there. Corbin Burns never really has. So I'm not surprised I didn't do super well. But Freddie Peralta dominated. 
And that was really beautiful to see. It's the first time in franchise history the Brewers have had a pitcher strike out three batters in an inning in the All-Star game. Um, And the entire time, the Fox broadcast was talking to Chris Bryant instead of caring about anything (laughs) Freddie Peralta was doing. Yeah, I love that Freddie Peralta. First of all, just glad that he and Arias got on the All-Star team because they were both very deserving. Uh, To be able to to have some success in there, too, was just great. Um, You know, Narvaez at least getting a hit. Um, But, yeah, Peralta, uh, David, you're not going to agree with this, but he is the second best pitcher on the Brewers team statistically in the first half. Oh, wow. Fire. His number one's Corbin Burns, right? Yeah. 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 Well, no, we won't. Brandon Woodruff, number one, obviously. Um, but statistically <laughs> speaking, Freddie Peralta, I, I think he gets a little undervalued for just how great he was, which is why I was so excited he made the all-star team. But, I mean, you, you look at his numbers, you know, 239, 98 innings, 135 strikeouts, 0 90 whip. I mean, he has been unbelievable for this team. So really happy to see him get in that all-star game. Thought he was very deserving in the first place. Um, and then to dominate like he did. Uh, just really great for him. Couldn't be happier for him in that moment. Yeah, and that that really kind of brings me to uh, my next topic that I wanted to talk about. So nice segue there, Jake. Um, <laughs> uh, th- this uh, this was something that was uh, a point that was raised by a friend of the podcast, uh, Grant Bills, uh, saw on Twitter. Uh, he asked, or, or he basically said that he would have Freddie Peralta as his game two starter in a postseason series right now. Um, Jake, I, I think it's pretty clear uh, you would agree with that sentiment at the moment. Uh, Matt, what do you think? Um, I would still go with Corbin Burns. I know you'd be happy to hear that. Um, yeah. I, I still <laughs> love the one-two punch of Woodruff and Burns atop that rotation. And if you look at, you know, I think one of the interesting thing about uh, the three-headed monster in Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta is that depending on the stat you look at, um, one of those three or a couple of those three is either at the top or close to the top. Burns, um, last I had checked, was leading that um, trio in war still, Uh, whereas, you know, you've got another one leading in uh, ERA and another one leading in strikeouts per nine. And so um, I would keep Corbin Burns up there. I know, um, you know, his ERA has risen up a little bit as he's given up some runs recently, um, but he still had that historic start to the season where he was just striking out anyone and everyone, not want, walking a single guy. When he's on, he is still one of the absolute most dangerous weapons that the Brewers have. Um, and so to have him follow Woodruff, I think, is just hell for other teams, for lack of a better word. And then... Um, if you're rolling out Peralta in game three as an opposing team, you know, what do you do? Like you just you just have to weather three storms in a row. So I like keeping it the way it is. I think it's worked well for the Brewers um, up until now. So keep that consistency going. Yeah. And you mentioned the the Burns not walking anyone. And of course, how ironic it would be that in his first uh, inning in the All-Star game, he walks Aaron Judge <laughs> on four pitches. Uh, That was really kind of upsetting, but, you know, whatever. Um, I mean, for me, I'm actually somewhat indifferent on, you know, Freddie being, you know, a game two starter versus a game three starter, because, I mean, just just kind of looking at it, I mean, really, it's going to depend on how you line up heading into that series. I mean, look at the postseason series last year. 
Brandon Woodruff was the game two starter, but that was that was dictated mostly by rest um, and, instead of you know just kind of determining it's like okay who's our best guy. Um, but really, I don't think you can go wrong with any of these three guys. You know, go, just a rotation of that three, whatever order it is, whether it's Woodruff, Burns, Peralta, Woodruff, Peralta, Burns, Peralta, Burns, Woodruff. You know, wh- whatever it is, it's um, a great problem to, to have for sure. Yeah, <laughs> it, like. I mean, either way, I think you're in a pretty good situation. So whether it's Freddie game two or Burns game two or or whoever, I think as long as you got one of those three guys starting, um, I think you're in a good you're in a good spot. Yeah. And, and while I you know gave Freddie all that praise, I would still have Burns as your one or two starter in the postseason because his stuff is that more dominant. Mm-hmm. And that's typically right. what plays up in the postseason. Um, so I would still have, you know, Burns as a one or two starter in a playoff series. But Freddie Peralta, 131 batting average against this year. I mean, that is just <laughs> incredible. And with Freddie, the issue with him is obviously the always the walks. And that's not something yeah. you want to roll out in a game one or two mm-hmm. of a postseason. You don't know, you know if he's going to have the command because he has starts where he'll only go, you know, four or five innings because his pitch count's so high because he's struggling with command. Um, so, yeah, I would still go Burns, you know, in that one or two spot in a postseason series over Peralta. Yeah, and, I mean, that's something that, you know, consistency for Freddie has really kind of always been the key. Like, it, it's always like, is this going to be a good Freddie day or a bad Freddie day? Um, and, you know, in the past couple of years, there's generally been a few more bad Freddie days than good ones. Um, but this year, it's it's pretty clear it's been more good Freddy days than bad. And even the bad ones are nowhere near as bad as they used to be. You know, it's not necessarily bad in terms of giving up hard contact, giving up runs. It's just not finding the zone as much and giving up a few more walks. Yeah, I mean, that's really the only thing keeping him from being a, a Cy Young type you know, candidate right now, other than Jacob deGrom being otherworldly, um, <laughs> is is that is the walks. But like you said, it's that difference where if he doesn't have the command that day, he's still not giving up four or five runs because they still can't hit him. It, it's just the pitch counts getting up there. So he's not able to go deep into games. I mean, games where he walks four or five batters, he's still, you know, going four or five innings and only giving up, you know, one earned run because guys just can't hit him, can't hit that, that slider. Um, so yeah, that's really just been the difference for him is that the stuff is just so much better now that, you know, other teams can't hit him. It's just when he helps them out with some walks here and there, it gets them in trouble and and doesn't allow him to go deep in games. Yeah. And that really speaks to his development that he's able to dig himself out of holes now, as opposed to allowing that to result in big innings. Um, I had looked earlier this season and kind of dug in a little bit to, uh, Freddie's strike percentage and you could very clearly see that in those first uh, couple innings his strike to ball ratio was a little bit closer to even and then the further he went into games that strike percentage was starting to raise and yet he still wasn't giving up tons of runs because when he was throwing more balls he was still figuring ways to get out it out of it like you said Jake because he's just that unhittable right now and I think you can compare that a little bit to Corbin Burns last year Um, at the beginning of the year, his outings were a little bit shorter. Um, He was throwing lots of pitches early, but he still was having good outings. He wasn't 
giving up lots of runs. And then as the season went on, it was like Corbin Burns just kind of turned into a freight train. He was having longer and longer outings, becoming more and more unhittable. And that really went to show his development as a pitcher and how much better he was getting at kind of understanding as a whole how to pitch to other guys and not to mention how dominant his stuff had become. Now you're seeing Freddie take that step in 2021. And so it's obviously resulted in this just amazing trio that the Brewers have atop the rotation. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add one to that. Adrian Hauser is somebody that, you know, last year, last couple of years, he's somebody that couldn't get out of that big inning and it would just mm-hmm. blow up on him. And he, he's had that at times still this year, but I, you know, his stuff obviously is not to where the, the top three are, but I still think he's done a better job of limiting those innings and being able to work out of those jams and go deeper into games. And uh, I mean, <laughs> Obviously, you have the top three that they have. He kind of obviously is going to get underlooked, but I think he's been very solid for the Brewers this year and what he's been able to give them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Hauser's definitely been uh, an underrated piece of that team for sure. I mean, he doesn't have the the gaudy stuff or, you know, the the super low ERA or the high strikeout totals, but, um, you know, he, he gets it done. He, he does a serviceable, you know, really good job in that rotation. And I mean, Brett Anderson, you know, is, is a lot of the same thing. Like you'll have some where it's just like, eh, it's, it's Brett Anderson. It's a rough start, you know, it's whatever. And then you'll have some where it's like, Hey, that was, that was a really good start by Brett Anderson. You know, again, mm-hmm. when just went, you know, seven shutout innings essentially. And, you know, he'll, he'll have a, a couple of those, but yeah, I mean, the rotation's in a good spot. I've seen some people on Twitter saying that the Brewers should add another just kind of starter to fill out the back end of the rotation. I'm like, I, I don't think that's necessary, but hey, I didn't think it was necessary to add another second baseman or another center fielder <laughs> this year. But hey, look what they did. Uh, so it's it's tough to count out anything David Stearns might possibly do, especially when it comes to uh, the trade deadline. It wasn't too long ago that um, David Stearns got three third basemen at the deadline. You know, he had Travis Shaw ready. It's like, hey, let's get Mike Moustakis and then we'll move him over to. Uh, second then we'll get Jonathan scope and it's just like what are we doing uh, but yeah so when it comes to the deadline this year um, you know I, I think third base has become a lot less of a need the more Luis Urias has played um, he seems to be taking over that job pretty well he seems to be hitting pretty well so third base probably isn't a need they may still get one anyways um, but Jake what do you see as the biggest need for the Brewers to address at the deadline this year yeah, it's got to be a, a corner infield bat. Um, I still think it could be third base just because I, I think that might be where your best options are. I just don't think there's a ton of first baseman out there available. Um, yeah. and it, Especially if Freddie Freeman isn't. Right. <laughs> so, um, and Joey Gallo doesn't want to play first base. That's the only other option I could really think of. And you don't really want to waste his gold glove outfield. Yeah. You know, and, and the Brewers at, are not going to go base. after Gallo. Yeah. Um, but, but they need they need somebody with some more power, especially if Yelich isn't going to provide that. And I'm not saying he won't, but uh, I'm definitely a little worried or concerned about that in the second half, but they need somebody to protect him in the lineup um, that has that type of, of power potential. And that only can really happen at a corner infield spot. Um, I don't, I haven't really looked or started to look at who's going to be available. I don't, like I said, I don't think there's a ton of corner infielders out there that really fit that profile. Um, Eduardo Escobar was one that I had, you know, talked about uh, early on uh, in the trade season that that could potentially do that. Um, but I mean, right now they have 
three first basemen <laughs> that they're trying to figure out, can they can they get the job done? And um, I think it's going to be a very important couple of weeks here for Keston uh, and really Telez too, I guess. Um, Council's given them each two at bats a game apparently to I don't know to see who who's the better <laughs> better spot. But uh, I mean that's really like you said because the way Arias has played, I think you know he can handle the third base spot, which leaves first base is really your biggest question going forward because you know the uh, hopefully we'll get something out of Lorenzo Cain in center field the second half of the season I, I wouldn't put too much stock in that but that's certainly what the Brewers have to be hoping you got Yelich out there I think Avisel Garcia has been one of the biggest contributors for this offense in the first half um, so I don't see him going anywhere so I mean it really just leaves first base and obviously Colton Wong coming back at second base although Chase Peterson's you know second MVP no um but uh <laughs> but no with Wong coming back I mean that could be huge and Kane coming back that fills the center field spot um so I mean it's really it has to be one of those corner infield positions and uh, I think first base is most likely but I think they're gonna see over the next week or so what they have in, in Keston and Telez there before making that decision yeah I, I know I keep preaching it, but I would really, really love them to lock down that bullpen and target a reliever to Stearns loves to around the trade deadline, bring in some guys who um, can contribute there on the mounds. And if the Brewers can't guarantee that that um, offense is going to get more consistent, well, then just keep leaning into that pitching staff and make them as absolutely good as possible. We've got the, you know, the four, we'll say main guys, in Hader, Devin Williams, Brent Suter, and Brad Boxberger, um, and they've been good, um, but not not to the level of like a 2018 where you had um, Knable, Hader, and Jeffress just frustrating the hell out of other teams. Um, and mentioning some of the other arms in the bullpen, um, you know, mentioned that Topa could be an option here in the second half. Ashby should find his way back up. We don't really, they've done well, but we don't really like fully know what we have in a Jake Cousins or a Miguel Sanchez, who again have done um, great work since they've been up here, but are they going to be able to perform as rookies under, you know, the lights of the postseason? Um, I still don't know about Yandel Gustave, who just kind of snuck his way onto the roster, I think for uh, uh, Brewers fans. So are there some arms out there that we could potentially target and bring in? Um, I know at the beginning of June, I had thrown an article out there about um, some guys who are kind of on expiring contracts that they could consider. One I would really like them to consider is um, Rysel Iglesias over there in L.A. Um, we know the Angels love to be um, sellers around the deadline, um, and they're sitting second. They are actually a game over 500. Um, but they're nine games out um, of the AL West behind Houston, who's uh, motoring away right now. Um, Iglesias knows the NL Central. I know he kind of had gone a little bit downhill towards the end of his tenure with Cincinnati, um, but he actually has good career numbers about basically ever against basically every team in the NL Central. And so he could be an arm that would help. I think there's other ones out there like Ian Kennedy um, from Texas, who are also traditionally sellers around the deadline. Um, there was a guy like Yimmy Garcia on Miami, um, and they're sitting in last place right now, so they could very likely be sellers. I think there's guys you could bring in, and of course, if Stearns brings someone in, it's probably none of those guys, and the, the more the like <laughs> Jordan Lyles type guy that you don't expect. So whoever it ends up being, I would really like them 
to add just some firepower into the bullpen. Yeah, I mean, that that's a group that it seems like every single year David Stearns makes an addition in that group. Um, you know, he's, he's added, you know, Joaquin Soria in the past, Anthony Swarzak. That was actually like one guy I'm like, hey, maybe they could go after this guy at the deadline. And then they actually traded for him. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I nailed it. That was the first time in forever. No. Um, but, but yeah, I think they definitely need one more arm. It depends on what they view on Justin Topa, him coming back. Um, you know, like you could view, view that as a, you know, deadline acquisition. Um, and even though you don't have to give up anything for him, uh, Topa could, could have that kind of impact. Ashby, as you mentioned, could have that kind of impact. Um, his debut obviously didn't go as, as hoped. Um, but you know, he's still a really good, really good arm. Um, that they could have down the stretch. So, I mean, there, there are definitely places to look. I think they could add one more. I think they definitely need to add another bat, um, whether it be on the bench or whether it be at first base or third base. Um, one guy that'd be really nice to have back would be Jesus Aguilar. I don't know how realistic that is, but, you know, if the Marlins sell and they're in a position where they could be selling, um, Aguilar possibly could be had, although it's going to be a little bit more expensive to get him this time around than when they originally got him off waivers from Cleveland. Yeah, and I think from everything I'm hearing about the Marlins is that they're just fine staying pat with what they have. Like, they they have a great farm system. They have some young guys coming up, and I think they really um, love having those veterans around like Starlin Marte, Adam Nuval, Jesus Aguilar, and they apparently seem to love playing, you know, in Miami. So I don't see the Marlins making – any moves like that selling off any um, expiring contracts unless they thought they were going to get, you know, something big in return, which I don't think you would for Aguilar. So I don't know how, you know, available You're killing my vibe he here, Jake. Come on. <laughs> Sorry. But yeah, I do, do love Aguilar, but so do the Marlins. And I think what he brings to that team and that clubhouse is probably more valuable than anything they would get in a trade. So sorry to, to, <laughs> to press the brakes on your trade scenarios again. Um, That's exactly why we want him, though, is because of all those yeah, things he brings yeah. to the clubhouse. But totally exactly why they shouldn't have traded him in the first place. Uh, yeah. But, you know, now that's hindsight's 2020, as they say. Um, but also, I don't also 2020 was a terrible year, so I don't really like looking back at it that much. <laughs> but anyways, um, so, yeah, I mean, when, when it comes to uh, the deadline, yeah, they're going to have some needs. And, and Jake, as you mentioned, I mean, first base, they, they got to figure it out um, mm-hmm. at first base. I mean, they got Rowdy Telez. I think that was more based on Vogelbach being out and yep. needing another option in case Keston needs a day or, you know, in case Keston struggles before Vogelbach gets back and before they can bring someone else in. Uh, they can have someone to fill in in the meantime. Um, Telez, I, I don't think is a long-term rest of the year option. I, I think he gets you through July, but beyond that, um, I, I don't really know how much longer he sticks around. Um, and especially if he doesn't hit all that well, if, if he's hitting like he was earlier this year, he's not going to stick around long. And if Kesson also can't get it going, um, they're going to have to send him back down and then you need somebody, then you need to make an addition. And beyond Freeman and Aguilar, uh, who's out there on the first base market? You know, like it's it, it's really kind of a, a tough group. Could you could you try to get Kyle Seeger and put him at first base? Like, uh, otherwise, I don't know what you got. 
Yeah. Otherwise, you're looking at names like CJ Crone with the Rockies, uh, Christian oh, yeah. Walker for the Diamondbacks. I mean, that's really the type of guys you're looking at, uh, which really aren't exciting names, but they're probably upgrades over what the Brewers have right now, yeah. especially if Keston's not going to turn it around. But yeah, like we talked about, there's just not a ton out there at the first base position that's likely going to be available. But those are the first two other names that kind of came to mind in Crone and, and Walker. Yeah, and I've actually, I know we've talked about Crone a lot um, on here. I've soured on him a little bit um, just because of looking his at his splits away from Coors Field. Um, he only has a 682 OPS on the road this season, only hitting 218. Um, so all of his big numbers are coming from, surprise, surprise, the benefit of playing at Coors Field. So um, does he actually even provide, you know, that much of an upgrade at first? Um, or are you fine with just waiting it out until Vogelback comes back? So like that kind of, you know, goes to, again, speak to like just the quality of the first base market right now. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned and, uh, Jonathan Scope earlier. He's li- kind of listed as a first baseman. He's actually oh not playing terrible for Detroit, but I know Brewers fans probably don't want a, a round two <laughs> uh, of that. Somebody else, I don't think the Orioles would trade him, but Trey Mancini mm-hmm. uh, could be a potential first baseman. That one probably would be expensive, and like I said, I don't think the Orioles are looking to move him. But, um, yeah, I don't really see much else out there. They could maybe go to the Rangers for Nate Lowe. But again, we're talking about guys that aren't really huge upgrades. And I don't really know if the cost was worth it at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like Lowe is controllable for several years. Telez is controllable for several years. Same with Volgebach, same with Hura. All these guys are under control. Like none of them are going to be leaving the roster unless it's a non-tender or another trade anytime soon. They just need someone to hit at, at that <laughs> position. And those, those are just kind of the only guys that, that are really available right now. And just none of them are hitting. And just like, like I said, it'd be so much easier if Keston were to just start hitting or mm-hmm. if Telez were to just start hitting. Volgeback was starting to hit and he was hitting pretty well um, with, with Keston back down. And then he pulled a hammy. And I mean, when you're a big guy like that, it's going to take a while to recover. And it's just it's just kind of been a, a revolving door at first base. Um, so it's been really, uh, really tough to see. And they don't really have anything in the farm system uh, to, you know, fill that void. You know, Ernesto Martinez is several years away. Um, so, I mean, they really don't have um, anything that, that can come up and, and really kind of help out. Yeah. And it just again, it speaks to the fact of what this Brewers team has done and how resilient they've been with the fact that they're not getting contributions from players they were really counting on coming into the year. I mean, coming into the season, you know, you thought you'd have a lineup of of Wong, Kane, Yelich, and Keston, and that would be a really solid four at the top of your order. And Wong's been banged up. Kane's been banged up. Yelich banged up and not, you know, producing to his levels and Keston just being straight up awful. Um, just put it bluntly. Um, I mean, they've been able to do what they've done without those top four hitters. You know, when Duong's been in there, he's been great. Um, but I mean, they just haven't, we haven't seen that lineup produced the way that we, we thought it would. I mean, and yes, like you said, if 
if Keston would just hit like we know he's capable of, it would make things so much better in this lineup because he could be that right-handed protection behind Yelich in the lineup that he hasn't had all year. Um, and if you do that, then you can move Avi down in the lineup. You can move Narvaez down in the lineup. You can move Adamas down in the lineup. I mean, can you imagine having Adamas, Urias, Narvaez, you know, Avi hitting at the bottom of the lineup, um, you know, just making that a really deep lineup um, that we thought they could have coming into the season. So, again, it, it speaks to how resilient this team is that they haven't gotten those contributions from them. Um, but it also gets me excited for the second half because if they do, I just think this team could take off even more. But, yeah, I mean, to your point, there's just there's not much else out there that they can really do at this point. You just have to hope those players come back to to what we know they can be. Yeah, and here, since he's come back from his second stint, he shows these flashes. Mm -hmm. If you take the totality of it, he's hitting 245 since he came back with an 840 OPS, you know. That's leagues better than he started out the season, but you still would just see, like to see a little bit more consistency. But then in July, um, he only ended up hitting 200. He'll have a few games where he'll get a hit, and then he'll have you know the golden sombrero that he had on July 5th. Come back with another couple hits after that, and then he went 0 for 2 in a couple of pinch hit stints um, leading into the break. So you know with some consistency of playing time, does he turn it around? You know, maybe a reset at the All-Star break can help, but, oh, that would just be a huge bet to get going. Just just that one bat, if that finally clicks for him, I, I think then you got to watch out. Yeah, and this is my frustration with it, too, is that he's not – I don't know if he gets that consistency of at-bats with the Telez – Right. you know, coming in, it's just, and you don't, you only have so much time here before the break to really kind of figure that out. You know, I don't know. It, it's really a tight window, um, you know, to try to make an evaluation. And, you know, I would love for Keston to, to turn around. I just don't know if he's going to get that consistent playing time because the Brewers are trying to win a division here. So you have to go with who you think is the best bat every night. And I don't know that Keston's going to get that consistent playing time to really give him a good chance to turn things around here. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's a tightrope to walk, like like not just a tight window to to fit in an evaluation. It, it's a tightrope of trying to get him going, but at the same time trying to put your best lineup out there and win every single game. Because as you mentioned, they're in a division race. Like they can't, you know, keep on throwing guys out there that are are just kind of wasted at bats. And it seems like they got two of those guys that they're putting out there just about every night: Hira and Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, who started to get it going a little bit in the month of July, but still overall it, it hasn't been uh, super great for him. Um, so they've really kind of needed him to get going as well. They, they've had almost nothing out of center field uh, most of the season, but I mean they, they've had great defense out there, but offensively they haven't gotten much. Um, but yeah, like it, you're trying to win, put the best lineup out there, um, and you've got your seven and eight hitters that are hitting a buck 50, a buck 60 on the season. And you just have to keep rolling them out there because one, you don't have any current replacements for them. And two, you, like you are expecting them to be big bats, to be better. Um, and you need to give them the chance to get going. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like we said, it's a, it's a hard decision for Craig council. So I try not to be, you know, too critical of his lineups. Although uh, I am, probably overly critical sometimes, but you look at their lineup and it's, 
It's 237, 241, 250. You got Narvaez at 300, 256, 255, which is Jace Peterson. You know, 204 if Telez is starting, 168 if Hure is starting, Jackie Bradley Jr. 167. Uh, that is that is rough. And to think that this team is up, you know, four games in the division. Um, the only only player with an OPS over 800 is Narvaez and Jace Peterson. I mean, it's it's rough. I don't know what what Council can really do when you boil it down. I mean, he's doing his best trying to to put out the best lineup there daily, but. At some point, it's on the players uh, to try to to turn things around and and get healthy too. I mean, you know, you mean like we I can't said, just fire Andy Haynes and expect things to get better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, he, <laughs> he he's not going up to bat for these guys every night. They at some point they gotta to figure it out. And and Wong is a huge part of that. And like I said, Wong's been really good when he's been there, and he really kind of sets the table at the top of that lineup. And with him not in there, it really changes things a lot. So, again, fingers crossed he's healthier the, the second part of this season because I, I really think, you know, he, again, is the table setter for that offense and can kind of make things go. Um, it's a huge difference when he's not in there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's something that, that they definitely uh, need. I mean, he's on his third IL stint of the season. Um, so it would be really nice to get – uh, Wong out there for an extended stretch. He should be back pretty soon after the uh, the All Star break here, so it, it shouldn't be too much longer for him. Um, so hopefully, with him coming back, that lineup you know deepens a little bit, and they'll be able to to get some get some hits, get some runs, get some wins in the board, and uh, get themselves to a uh, division title, and hopefully in a position where the Bucks find themselves right now in the in the championship but we'll we'll get to that later bucks and six um <laughs> but exactly so um big win uh, with that the other day but anyways brewers second half is going to be starting up once again uh this weekend so uh now we'll also have baseball to be watching again as well um, I know I know we said uh, last week we're gonna be talking um, some more draft this week we're gonna have a special episode with um, Dan Zelinsky of Baseball Prospect Journal um, next week. Um, that's going to be coming out where we talk uh, entirely on the Brewers draft. So be sure to look out for that uh, here on the Cold Brew Podcast. A lot to look forward to there. He's got some really great stuff, really great insight. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Uh, so looking forward to that. Uh, Jake, thanks so much, man, for, for coming on the podcast this week, uh, talking some Brewers with us. Um, tell, us tell us all the all the things that you do, I mean, Brewers, I mean, you cover Brewers, Braves, you, you write a lot of stuff and, and, and do a lot of stuff over there, man. Yeah. So obviously, you know, most of you guys probably know my work of locked on Brewers over there on the podcast with me and Vinny Rotino. Um, but also write for the Braves at TomahawkTake.com for fan sided. Also cover uh, the double A South for prospects 1500. Uh, so I do a little bit of that as well. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at shortstopball uh, if you want to see everything else that I'm doing in the the sport of baseball, the writing and and talking that I'm doing. But yeah, I appreciate you uh, having me on. Like I said, love this podcast, love reviewing the review, reviewing the brew. Go to it all the time. Uh, good articles over there, good information. Absolutely, thanks a lot, man. Uh, thanks a lot for the for the support. And, and yeah, go go check out Lockdown Brewers. Um, they they got podcasts every single day uh, with. Uh, 
Jake and uh, Vinny Rotino, now both friends of the podcast here on the Cold Brew Pod. Uh, so be sure to check that out. Um, and yeah, it's it's going to be a great second half uh, brewer season coming up here. So uh, thanks a lot again for, to Jake. Uh, for Jake, for Matt Carroll, I'm Dave Gasper. We'll see you next week for another episode of the Cold Brew Podcast.